Today, my name is Evelyn Aka. I'm the founder and managing lawyer of Aka Business Immigration Law. We are based in Calgary, Alberta, and we have two offices in Toronto and Vancouver, Canada as well. I focus primarily on cross-border NAFTA immigration law for professionals as well as families and individuals looking to move to Canada or move to the United States. I would like to welcome you to my podcast. It's called Ask Canada Immigration Lawyer Evelyn Aka. I am so pleased to welcome you to a special I'm having with my friend and tax advisor, James Belitsiosif. Welcome, James. Welcome. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, and before we start talking about all things cross-border tax, I want to give you the introduction you deserve. So I'm going to read a little bit. Um, James is a well-respected practitioner, and he's a published authority on international tax. He holds lots of accreditations internationally, and he's also a practicing member of the Canadian Public Accountability Board, which sets audits, accounting, and tax standards for listed companies. James has been an accredited tax specialist in public practice for more than 22 years, and he also does audits for listed and non-listed entities. There's so much more I can write about James. I know that he has been an incredible ally for me as a, as a business owner, as well as my friend and helping me understand the very complex rules on tax for corporations and individuals. And so I'm thrilled to have you join us, James, because I wanna talk about how we can work together to make sure our clients get the best advice before they move to Canada. Um, so welcome again, and thank you so much for being with us at Law. Thank you very much. I look forward to uh, speaking to you. Thank you. So let me just get into it right away. So let's talk about if there is, um, I get a lot of calls from companies where they're maybe in the United States and they want to set up a branch, especially now, unfortunately, some of the the politics in the States, a lot of Silicon Valley companies and other high-tech companies are looking to set up branches or subsidiaries to bring some of their foreign workers into Canada. What do they need to think about before they decide on the structure of the Canadian entity? That's a very good question. Companies migrating to Canada have to consider multiple factors, including not only tax, but also our local employment laws or local estate laws and other various aspects to their business. Because remember, Canada has a fundamentally different basis of law than the United States. Um, one specific area that, that's going to be problematic for I call what I call non-listed or privately held U.S. companies in Canada is the concept of Canadian control. Canadian-controlled public corporations enjoy a 9% federal tax rate. And when that control is not uh, Canadian or held by non-resident, it actually increases the federal tax burden by 145000 every year. And that's before provincial tax is imposed. So, you know, that, that's a very problematic area for, for companies. So really, it comes down to if you're going to move to Canada, it may make sense to have Canadian resident control uh, and how that control exists, of course, well, as lawyers, we, we develop documents and uh, policies and that sort of stuff to, to, to occur. But Canadian control is, is a key area. The other thing that is misunderstood is Regulation 105. Um, most non, non-residents of Canada will hire 
other non-residents to do their business on their behalf in Canada. And they don't realize that that does create a trigger a, a reporting event on, of a 15% withholding tax. And most companies fail to comply or even do that. Um, of course, that is subject to penalties and could range from $2,500 to $10,000 per year. Mm-hmm. So, so James, so for instance, when I get the call and somebody says, I want to set up a related entity in Canada, should I do it as a branch, a subsidiary, or just register the same company in Canada? What, what kind of implications are there for which, which structure they choose? That's a very good question, too. You know, U.S. companies uh, that do earn income in Canada, um, for the most part, are exempt from Canadian tax, providing the treaty allows for this. However, you know, basically to achieve a a proper efficiency in the tax model, um, you know, tax when considered is a multidimensional model. We marry the type of income, the type of taxpayer, the level of income, and perhaps even the resident state that is coming from to marry into a tax formula. So, you know, the treaty does exempt U.S. profits from the Canadian system, providing there's a permanent establishment. So companies that are selling in nature and depending on the type of business that we're referring to do in fact require permanent establishment mm-hmm. and immigration into the Canadian system, not only from a, from a relocation viewpoint, but also from a, an employee migration yeah, uh, you know, for example, we know now with with the current pandemic, there's multitude of our country and our and our minister of finance is in fact supporting Canada and their business models much differently than the United States, mm-hmm. and that's simply because we have different a, a different economy, different GDP factor, different interest rates, even to an extent. You know, we have a basal type, basal two financial network that the United States does not comply with. In other words, we have a concentrated bank network as opposed to a deregulated network. So all these things matter and impact your overall position. Um, In terms of the type of industry, sometimes if you're you're a software developer in the US or perhaps a gamer Mm -hmm. that's developing what I call new, new world technology, you may very well have to be a resident of Canada with employees because, yeah. you know, we're now finding Quebec, for example, is, is providing digital tax, uh, enforcing it. Uh, yeah. CRA is now developing new, new laws on that as well. So from one of you point, you know, it, it, sometimes it's better to embrace, uh, embrace the system than, than yeah. try to fight it. Keep in mind, if you're an American coming into Canada, your exchange rate, you know, your dollar buys a lot more in Canada than it does in the U.S. For sure. Because of the exchange. Yeah. So, you know, let's say the tax rate was the same, but you're paying less tax by virtue of the fact that you could use your, you're making a gain on your U.S. currency yeah. to fund to fund Canadian tax. So that in itself is, is a tax reduction. And that's why I believe Canada is uh, an attractive place for foreign investment. For sure. I guess, so one of the questions I get asked a lot is, will I be dinged on both sides of the border? You know, for instance, we have like a business person who's setting up a partnership in Canada and he's coming into one of the provinces and trying to figure out and living, like we'll be moving to Canada. Most of our immigration clients, they actually live in Canada. So we bring, we set up the business, 
they transfer employees or and they hire Canadians. So it's not ever done to just set up a business. They are actually for immigration have to operate the business. And so they need to have employees and be operational, pay Canadian tax, all of it. But is there a way, do we think about that do they have to pay taxes in Canada and the US or the least they have to file? What's the just high level, James? I know you're in the weeds, you're an expert in tax, but for the layperson, they just want to understand does this mean I have to file US and Canadian tax going forward now that I'm working in Canada? You know, that's, that's of course, a very um, interesting question and a very common question. Um, and in fact, the problem is, you know, and this comes down to the U.S. tax uh, market or the tax code, we call it. Mm-hmm. Once you have a green card, you will continue reporting worldwide income into the United States tax market until you give up that green card. Now, that's what about a if you're a citizen. What if you're a U.S. citizen? Is it the same? It's the same. Okay. So, so why? Well, the goal here is if you're going to move into Canada and you're not going to create a Canadian structure, then there is a form. I won't say double tax, but tax inefficiency that occurs because the foreign tax credits that do exist between the countries don't exactly give you 100% relief. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, but that doesn't mean though that you wouldn't do it. For example, uh, you know. We, we have opportunities in our, in our tax legislation that are very different from the United States. Um, so it may very well in some cases be beneficial for a, for a non-resident to operate in Canada, knowing that there is that inefficiency. Um, again, as an example of this, take dividends. Dividends, uh, you know, recently our Minister of Finance brought in specific rules on tax on split income dividends, uh, you know, typically from a holding company that are split between a husband and a wife or a spouse um, would be subject to the highest marginal rate, except for the fact, unless you're 65 or a non-resident. So mm-hmm. in that case, you could actually achieve perhaps a lower tax rate in Canada than the U.S. by simply uh, having, having the foreign tax credit apply and avoiding tax on split income. So in cases like that, excuse me, there are, there are benefits uh, that accrue to non-residents. However, what do they do? Yeah. I think ultimately it depends on where people live. In your comment, you said to me, people live in Canada. So yeah. if they're living in Canada while keeping a U.S. residency, you have to ask yourself why. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, in some cases they do that because they don't want to pay the departure tax of the United States. All that's, you know, there is such a huge amount of um, exemption in the U.S., as you know. And in, or in, in other cases, they're worried that they don't want to be subject to long-term, um, you know, tax. However, the biggest thing I will say to you that I think is really beneficial is that, remember that, the U.S. has the generation skipping tax yeah. and gift tax. Thankfully, Canada does not have. We have income attribution rules where income is attributed to minors and kitty tax. However, we don't have gift tax, as you know it, as the U.S. has it. And I think, and I think that that's something that's really the core issue of a decision. If you're going to be an American living in Canada, mm-hmm. you're still subject to the gift tax, even if the assets in, is in Canada. Okay. So do you, for instance, in terms of advising, like when I send some of our clients to you and say, before we do any immigration, you have to talk to James Belitsiotis 
at his accounting firm um, because we want to make sure you planned properly. So let's say a high net worth executive, lots of money in the States, in their investments, in their 401s and all those other things. Do you advise them on what they should do in, in advance to prepare for departing the U.S. to come and take up this executive role in Canada? What do they need to do to make sure they're not going to, you know, somehow impact or negatively impact their wealth um, when they are leaving? Do you do you do that as well? Yeah, so that's interesting. Um, you know, the the when Canada and the U.S. have departure tax uh, when we leave one one state and 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 come to the other, and the exemption is typically two million in the U.S. Um, and you know, U.S. Regulation Eight Seven Seven Eight does in fact require that you remit tax on any net assets over two million. You know, with the pandemic, you know, we've seen for the first time an unprecedented change of wealth between taxpayers. You know, in some cases, this may be a great time to depart the U.S. if that's something that you're looking to do and your job is requiring, because your assets may be just below the two million dollar threshold. Um, the, and in doing that, uh, you know, one thing that we do say to people is that if you're under 59 and a half years old, um, you know, yeah, there is a 10% penalty to move your IRA or 401k over to an RRSP. Mm -hmm. Anybody over 59 and a half just paid withholding tax. Okay. Um, so it, it's really the timing I think is something to consider. Yeah. Uh, you know, for example, if you, if your assets are worth 2,150 and the markets look like the way they are these days, you may very well want to do it uh, at a time when you're under that $2 million threshold as an example. So timing can be uh, a friend in this case, or it could yeah. be a cost. So then the other thing is sometimes people come up and they become expats for like two or three years and they know they're going back. What should they do? Should they just leave everything? Because I, my view is why would you do it all, bring it over? and then have to deal with the impact of tax perspective and then go back again and deal with that. So if you know, let's say you're doing a temporary assignment for three years, doesn't it make more sense to just maybe freeze things and leave them um, from a wealth management perspective? You, you know, one thing that is very problematic in Canada, the word residency for the purpose of taxation is not defined in the Federal Tax Act. And therefore, uh, we look at someone's intent um, and so if the intent is that they're not going to long term have a residence in Canada, uh, creating less ties into our tax system is a very good thing. Mm -hmm. uh, not bringing assets over, not buying a house, perhaps renting, uh, keeping their driver's license in, in the United States, uh, you know, all become relevant factors in addition to other determinations that, that the tax department will use. It's not entirely clear, um, you know, it's done on a case-by-case -case fact uh, on what the determination rules, uh, on what ordering they're applied because they are very factual. However, unlike the U.S., however, you know, that, that is different. The U.S. does have very clear determination rules of when you're resident or not. Uh, the presence of a green card, of course, will keep you there resident. Um, but keep in mind, though, that there are you know, income that if you, if you are going to keep your green card, there are exemptions of income, so they're not double taxed exactly the way people would envision them. Mm -hmm. uh, and for example, certain income 
that you earn in Canada while in Canada, while keeping a green card, is not exactly taxed 100% in the U.S. Okay. Uh, or re reported like in, in the same capacity. So that's something to consider as well. For sure. So this is my personal question. As you know, one of my children is American citizen as well as Canadian. And he, I understand when he gets to be 18, we got to think about what we want to do if we're going to keep his U.S. citizenship or give it up because of the potential worldwide tax, right, um, issues with the U.S. government. What are your thoughts on that for people? Because I remember a few years ago, everybody I knew that was an American living in Canada who even became a Canadian citizen, they were making decisions to give up their citizenship because, you know, the last administration changed the rules and they were being dinged significantly or they hadn't filed taxes for, you know, 20 years because they've been citizens of Canada. What are your thoughts on that? You know, that is such a complicated question, but I will answer it this way because it has so many variables and facts to it. But yeah, I mean, you know, I find more and more, uh, and as Lord will agree with me, that the asset protection, you know, uh, divorce continues to, 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 to be a, a concern for most Canadians or, or most Americans as well, the risk of it. Mm -hmm. and, and during divorce, as you know, it is the biggest form of capital depletion uh, for taxpayers or individuals. And so therefore the use of a family trust is, is becoming more and more relevant. That trust um, does have some concerns as it relates to non-residents. For example, uh, the residency of a trust uh, is typically, a Canadian family trust is, is defined by the residence of its trustees. Mm -hmm. So if you have an American uh, or a dual citizen um, as a trustee, you know, that could be problematic for the residents of a trust. You could pull that trust into another tax jurisdiction accidentally. Mm -hmm. um, and also non-resident as a beneficiary of a trust is subject to withholding tax that, uh, that we do find. But these things, however, um, may be moot, right? Uh, because what's the value of asset protection? Uh, you know, would you rather pay withholding tax and hopefully use other tax planning techniques to reduce it later on? Or would you rather split your assets with your spouse that you're leaving? Mm -hmm. um, you know, we've talked about, you and I sometimes, about the use of pre prenuptials. Uh, and prenuptials are only valuable in the state, not where you sign them, but in the state that you divorce. Mm -hmm. uh, so you could very well be in a state in a province of Canada, sign a prenuptial, but then very well get divorced in another uh, province or perhaps, God forbid, in the U.S., where mm -hmm. uh, now you're older and perhaps in Florida or California, where that there, there's no legal um, consideration to that. Okay. So, you know, my point is no. The answer is no. I wouldn't be rushing to, to remove residents uh, in, in the dual citizen. However, you know, there are reporting conditions, right? Uh, a non a dual citizen of the United States and Canada does have to file. To file. And so what was happening, wasn't it back then in the Obama administration, a lot of people hadn't filed for years and years and years. And then did you see a big uptick in your business or people coming to you saying, oh my God, I, I am 10 years behind and now there's, they're coming after me. Like, did you see that? You know, it's funny, um, we were just talking about trust, you know, this whole, this whole matter stemmed from the Panama disclosures where people were holding 
offshore mining in Grand Cayman and mm -hmm. uh, Turks and Caicos and other countries alike, you know, and they have simply not reported the income on those assets. And really, that was the issue. <clears throat> um, people think that by simply keeping an asset in another country, it's not sheltered. I mean, it's sheltered and therefore not reportable or it's really not taxed. That is simply not true. Uh, worldwide income is worldwide income. If you're a resident of Canada, you report worldwide. Mm -hmm. However, what's, what I find is the more problematic area is the disclosure of foreign assets. Uh, sometimes uh, you could have an asset in the United States or perhaps a, uh, another property uh, that's not even generating income, perhaps it's breaking even and you're holding on a speculation basis mm -hmm. and you're not reporting that asset in the U.S. or Canada, depending on what side of the country you're in. Uh, and we both, both of our countries have significant disclosures. The U.S. has FBAR reporting, we call it foreign asset reporting. Canada, of course, has the T1135 form. And there are severe penalties for failure to disclose. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's good. Wow. Oh, my goodness. Every time you talk, talk tax, it just goes over my head. Uh, this is why I don't do any. At Act of Law, we don't do any tax. We refer our people to James and to other advisors because it's so complicated that we want to make sure. Um, I don't want to hear from a client five years later. Oh, you wish you had told me I had to do this. I always, always, always say tax leads immigration. And especially for corporations that are moving near shoring when they're coming from the US or India or wherever to Canada, they need to plan as, at the highest level so that they have the best chances of success in Canada to grow their business and employ Canadians, you know, which is always the goal. Um, is there anything else you want to talk about in terms of just this is one of maybe many chats we're going to have, James, as, as time goes on, because I find that the tax questions and for corporate and business clients are becoming more and more sophisticated, and we send them to you. Like, for instance, what about the in individual um, executive? Should they seek their own tax advisor separately from the company's advisor when they're considering taking an opportunity? We get a lot of high-level C-suites, and I feel like they need to have almost independent advisor for their own planning. That, that makes 100% sense, and, and we do recommend that. There's a lot of reasons for that. First of all, a ta a, a, an executive of a company may not feel comfortable disclosing their assets to, to someone that's related and, and paid by the corporation mm -hmm. for a lot of reasons. Yeah. Uh, there is, there is a, there is a the confidentiality could be compromised okay. because you know, you're talking to someone where it inherently doesn't exist. Uh, but moreover, there may be circumstances there that could be, there could be bias. Remember that ind internal individual is reporting and has a responsibility to shareholders of that company and certainly not to the executive. Mm -hmm. So absolutely it's relevant and important because we, we've seen circumstances where, uh, in my, I've seen circumstances anyway, where the lack of that, um, uh, you know, seek of knowledge can, in fact, create unexpected tax results in both countries. For sure, for sure. And so even if, let's say, the employer, the corporate employer is paying for, they'll say, we're going to pay for your Canadian tax and deal with the, you know, with the equalization of the differences. We're going to pay for that. Um, and you go find your advisor. It doesn't matter who's paying for that, right? It's the relationship. Yeah, no. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the payment itself, the, the agreement 
tends to be with the, the professional and the client, right? Not with the company. So although, you know, CPAs in Canada don't have uh, privilege as lawyers do in Canada, uh, but we do have strict confidentiality for sure. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, James. This has been a good start of maybe a series, I hope. Um, I really, really appreciate your time. And as I was saying, um, James is my accountant for the company. And personally, I really respect him. He has brought a lot of expertise and knowledge and structure and strategy because I didn't have it, even though I've been practicing law for 20 years um, and working on my own for 10 years. As a lawyer, you kind of know your niche and you need to bring in professionals to know what they're doing and can help you with the big picture planning. So I'm hoping that we'll be able to do this again soon. Um, Thank you so much for your time. And again, I'm so grateful to you for everything you've done for me and my business. And I look forward to sending more work your way. Thank you, James. You're wonderful. Thank you. Well, folks, that's the end of our podcast. I hope the information was valuable to you. Please do let me know if you have any questions. You can reach us at akalaw.com, A-C-K-A-H-L-A-W.com, or you can contact us by phone at 403-452-9515. Have a great day. Thank you.